I just turned to my teammate Kate Ayers and I was like, you know, we're really going to rock this thing. We're running really well. That was a pretty cool moment just to share with her. Welcome to the ShakeOut Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Van Buskirk. In this episode, we chat with newly crowned Canadian cross-country champion, Geneviève Lalonde. We dissect her race, discuss the importance of mental training, and relive running in the Arctic Circle. The Athletics Canada National Cross-Country Championships took place over the weekend in Kingston, Ontario. Each of the races boasted deep competitive fields, and the Senior Women's 10K event was no exception. Its start list included Pan Am Games medalists, national record holders, and Olympians like Jen Lalonde. The Acadian New Brunswick native has called Guelph, Ontario home for the last several years. She competed as a member of the University of Guelph Griffins and now trains with the Speed River Track Club under the guidance of coach Dave Scott Thomas. Her main event is the 3,000-meter steeplechase, although she's enjoyed success at a range of distances. Jen has had an outstanding athletic career. She's represented Canada on over a dozen national teams, including the 2016 Rio Olympics, where she made the final and in the process lowered her own Canadian record for the third time. In the last year alone, she has qualified for three national teams, although she turned down her spot on this summer's NACAC Championships in Toronto. I caught up with Jen in Guelph a couple of days following her Canadian cross-country victory. Welcome to the show, Jen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. <laughs> How are you feeling now a couple days following your cross-country victory? Uh, kind of sore, but luckily I have a pretty uh, awesome IST team, so um, they've been helping me out. But uh, yeah, no, just just some muscle soreness, uh, a little bit of fatigue, but um, otherwise uh, doing pretty well. <laughs> Well, that's pretty expected, I guess, for anyone who wasn't in Kingston. By the time Jen crossed the finish line, it was pretty much downpouring and it was a mud fest and it was also a really long race. So it makes sense that you'd be feeling it a bit. The delayed onset of pain just kind of pushes a few days. And then once uh, once you start feeling pain, you're like, oh, yeah, OK, I did do that. Right. <laughs> well, you earned your hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I think anyone who, who was out there, you know, cheering on or or racing or even if you're at home just watching online everyone deserved a, a little bit of pain after after watching that so <laughs> absolutely so this was your first cross-country race in several years you haven't towed a cross-country start line in about five years I believe what what, what made you decide to take on cross-country again and, and have this return to an event that you really haven't touched in the last couple of years yeah I haven't uh, run cross-country in a while and this year at the end of my outdoor track season, Things were a little bit rough. I, I was injured. Uh, I, I kept whacking my knee on hurdles. Um, so uh, I had a pretty banged up knee. And then um, I had some Achilles issues. And uh, mentally, I was just kind of drained and was not in a very good spot and just kind of had to rethink where I was heading um, into 2019 and into 2020 and kind of what I wanted my goals to be. And yeah, cross country had been that kind of like basic running that you start off when you're young. And I didn't know exactly where I wanted to head, but I knew that I wanted to kind of go back to my basics, figure things out, and then um, work my way up from there. So 
at the end of the summer, we I sat down with Dave and the only thing I knew was that I wanted to run a trail race, I wanted to run a road race, and I wanted to run a cross-country race. And uh, that was going to be the end of my 2018 season. So we set out just to kind of train and uh, see where things led. So I accomplished all of them. I ran a few local road races back in New Brunswick. I uh, got to run my first trail race in uh, Quebec. Then we set our sights on um, the National Cross Country Championships. Training was going really well. And I guess about a few weeks out from the race, I just turned to my teammate Kate Ayers and I was like, you know, we're really going to rock this thing. We're running really well. And um, that was a pretty cool moment just to share with her. You know, we both had really great races uh, this weekend and I'm more excited about anything than to uh, uh, be on a team with her because she's kind of been like my little sister in the sport for the past couple of years. And, uh, you know, she's come a really long way. So I'm excited to, to toe the line with her um, in Denmark. Well, both of you um, helped Speed River, your track club, cinch the victory, the team victory, in terms of overall points at this meet. And and I think, unfortunately, sometimes as we get older in the senior ranks, there's less of an emphasis on the team element. People don't tend to run with a team in cross country as frequently. So to see um, both Speed River and Physicult out there really vying for that team title and to hear you talk about how important the team aspect is, is really special. That That's a neat thing that I think gets a little lost as we get older. Yeah, definitely. You know, the challenge that we could have that team element there uh, definitely brought the stakes in in higher. And, you know, we ran with Rachel Hanna and um, Hannah Woodhouse and uh, Sarah Wismer. So having them on the team made it that much more special just to know that you're not just running for yourself, but you're also running for these other people. And to, to bring a, a team title for Speed River, I mean, I've been registered under Athletics New Brunswick since the beginning and, and I continue to represent my my home province, but to be able to represent both my team and my province at the same time was pretty, pretty cool. And unfortunately, I was the only New Brunswick athlete um, in the senior women's, but uh, maybe that'll change in the coming years. I did do a women's running summit uh, in the early fall. So there's some really great runners in New Brunswick right now. So maybe (laughs) that'll inspire a few of them to jump into cross country. So going back to the actual race, of course, this was 10K. It was, I believe, the second longest race you've ever run and quite a bit longer, three times longer than you're used to running in your primary event of the 3000 meter steeplechase. So when you and Dave Scott Thomas came up with your plan for the for the race, what did that look like? What did you talk about knowing that there were going to be strong competitors like Natasha Wodak in the race who are 10K specialists? What was your race plan and did it play out the way you thought it would? Yeah, it kind of evolved as the season went through because it was my first 10K. You know, I've run a lot of tempo. I've run a lot of long runs, but never yeah that distance specifically in a race. And racing against um, Natasha Woodak, Claire Sumner, Sasha Golish, all of those names, you know, it's quite daunting when they've run these many times and uh, and know their body and know the pace. So to be able to to just jump into the race and know that they had that information, that's kind of where the plan evolved was that uh, I was going to key off of some of those um, top-notch runners. And yeah, I'd done the workouts, but putting it together on race days is, is a bit of a different story. So actually the day before uh, the race, while I was doing some strides, yeah, ha- having not been on a cross-country race course in a while, 
it was a bit of a foreign feeling. And uh, I just turned to Dave and I was like, I'm just so afraid I'm going to start off too fast and not even a third of the way through, I'm just going to die. Like, I'm just so afraid of, of that. And he's like, well, then don't just <laughs> don't do that. Start off slow, be conservative and then work your way through. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I have that decision to make. <laughs> so, yeah. So once we started the race, the, the whole goal was really just to stick with the front pack and then kind of check with myself during the second lap. You know, I was feeling really good. And and so as we went down the hills, I, I, I actually saw Dave and just kind of like made like a, a little smiley face at him. And in that moment, I think we both knew that I was ready to push it a little bit more. Around 9K, I really started to feel like this distance was very long. It was good, though, because I knew I only had one kilometer to go. You know, that, that's kind of like a 200 in track comparisons that like you can always run another 200 meters. So in the 10K, I feel like you can always run one more kilometer. <laughs> well, and you had done such a great job of separating yourself. You had so much distance at that point that it was very unlikely that even if you slowed down significantly, anyone was going to catch you. So you obviously timed that move very well. You never know. I actually didn't know where I was in position to, to the other girls. So as I was doing the turns on the, the muddy corners, I was kind of checking back just to make sure that Natasha didn't come kicking me down but it was good. It, it kept me honest. So, <laughs> Well, and one of the things that I was noting was that you and Brogan McDougall were both similar in that you're right, anything can happen. But it was fairly clear from a spectator's perspective that you and she both had the win in the bag in your respective races. And yet you never took your foot off the pedal. Like You guys both just ran with every bit of energy that you had the entire race distance. And, you know, there's a real competitive spirit that makes someone do that because some people, and this would be fine too, but would just sort of start celebrating a bit earlier or interact with the fans. But you and Brogan both ran a hundred percent for a hundred percent of your race, <laughs> which was neat to see. I think it's a bit of a gift to the fans. Yeah. And I think, you know, if there's a national title on the line, you, sh you should, that's, uh, that's just the way I run. And especially in cross country, you never know what could happen. You could fall. You could one of the, those turns could have gone wrong, and and um, and then someone could come up. But I'm glad. I'm glad it gave a good show. <laughs> <laughs> Mission accomplished on that front. <laughs> So you mentioned both in your post-race interview and just now that you had a little bit of adversity towards the end of the summer. Your body was a bit banged up. And then you mentioned that you also had some sort of emotional issues. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah, for sure. We diagnosed it as being kind of an emotional breakdown. Uh, you know, when you're... When you do something for a very long time, as I have, I've, I've been running since uh, I was seven, but more professionally since since I was about fifteen or sixteen, and uh, and making national teams since I was that that age, you get to a point where you you know you, you don't know whether this is always something that you want to be doing. I was yeah struggling with with injuries, and I finished my masters about a year and a half ago. By the end of the year, I just was not in a very good mindset. And uh, I was having fun because we, we have this great team, but I was also, I felt like there was some kind of weight weighing on my shoulders. So yeah, so at the end of the, the season, not only was I broken physically, but mentally, I just, I just couldn't get myself up to, to go to the track. You know, so NACAC came around and I just knew that I couldn't step on the line and perform to my best of my abilities. And, you know, every time you, you put on the Canadian singlet, you want to 
you want to be representing your country with with pride and and um, I just I didn't feel like I was ready to do that. You know, I worked really hard with the Athletics Canada medical team and and have reached out to to many friends and um, have had countless heart to hearts with people um, about this. This fall has been really great. Um, I've been working at the university. I've been figuring out life things. I've realized that I'm not very good at just being an athlete. Running is is amazing, but uh, it's also amazing to keep your brain stimulated and and uh, find other passions in life. And um, I think I was a bit in a bit of a rut and uh, kind of came out of that through the beginning of the fall. But you know, all this is is kind of a work in progress. But it's been it's been really good. I'm in a lot better place now. You know, I have a wonderful team around me, so thank you to them for for supporting me through both the ups and the downs. <laughs> yeah, well, and I'm I'm really glad to hear that you're feeling more positive about things. And I think that, like you said, most athletes, if you've been in the sport as long as we have, most athletes go through this at some point. I know I certainly have, and. As you're experienced, I, the more I've talked about it with other people, the more I've found commonalities. And unfortunately, it doesn't really get talked about that much. And I think we're, we're moving in the right direction, but there don't seem to be a lot of sort of preventative resources available in, from a psychological perspective for athletes. There's a lot of talk about transitioning out of sport and into your next career, whatever that may be. But while you're still in the sport, I think, you know, if these are conversations that need to be had. And obviously, the, the resources need to be explicit and they need to be very available for athletes so that we can continue to love our sport and continue to develop as athletes and as people. Yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, as you say, things are, things are getting better. There's, there's definitely more and more resources out there. Um, it's, it's just difficult when you're, when you're focused on one goal and that goal being running really fast, it's hard to think, okay, while you're out and training, like what are the other things happening in your life? So, but it is, extremely important you know I mean for myself I do best when I'm when I'm doing totally random things such as being in the arctic or doing research or doing other kind of passions that I Mm -hmm. enjoy and you know running we're so lucky in that way that we have the time to to do that whereas it's it's a sport that you can only spend so much time on your feet for the rest of the day you have to be doing something else and uh yeah I think um mental training and discussing this with with people is is definitely the way forward and hopefully those opportunities will open up in the fall of 2015 jen packed up her warmest running gear and traveled to the tiny fly-in hamlet of ulahaktik situated on the west coast of victoria island in the northwest territories She spent that fall living in the community of 400 people, conducting research on Inuit education as part of her master's degree in geography. So let's talk about the Arctic a little bit. Many athletes try to balance their athletic careers with things like school or a part-time job. But you took that to a whole other level. (laughs) There aren't many elite athletes who would move to a remote Arctic village for three months, less than a year out of the Olympics. Yeah, I definitely took it to the extreme. Uh, (laughs) I wouldn't advise everyone to do that. Uh, Yeah, in my case, you know, I was finishing school and I met this really awesome advisor 
who offered me a trip up to the Arctic to do research in looking at aspects of Inuit culture that they desired to have included in education. And that was something that at the time I was really interested in. So just kind of followed my heart with that one. And luckily, you know, I talked with Dave Scott Thomas, my coach, and I had a bit of a test period because my last um, semester of school, I was actually able to go up there for a few weeks to kind of get my, my feet wet and see if I this was really something that I wanted to do. And uh, so during that time, I went up and I trained and I actually came back and, and was able to compete for the University of Guelph Griffins in my last um, collegiate races. What they realized was I, I actually came back pretty fit. So I think that gave them some optimism <laughs> in the fall of uh, 2015 when I went up for the second time that, you know, I actually, I knew the place, I knew how I could train and it set it up really well that I had a fall base season where, you know, I didn't have any specific things that I had to train for. But as long as I kept fit and ran pretty much every day, you know, I would come back and be ready to, to then focus in on, um, on Rio in, in 2016. It worked out, thank goodness. Um, but yeah, I put in a lot of work, you know, I, I definitely did everything that I could while I was up there. I was playing basketball just to just to keep myself moving um, during my easy days. If it was too snowy outside, talked with all the local hunters to make sure that there was no uh, wildlife around, which was a legitimate cause for concern. You know, I kept in touch with Dave um, almost every second day or something. Talked a lot with my sports psychologist uh, and then also had a great time and got some really good research. So. Yeah, that sounds so exciting. And again, so rare for an elite athlete, but it sounds like you also made sure to have some things in place to keep you grounded, you know, daily contact with your coach, work with a sports psychologist. These are, these are things that would probably keep you feeling a little more connected to home and connected to your routine. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that's the, when you are looking to do other things that kind of balance out, yeah, that kind of emotional side of, or other interests um, and running is just to make sure that uh, you have a plan in place and uh, that you execute it because um, ultimately that communication and working with these people will ultimately help you. And I'm very thankful for, for them um, taking the time to help me out with that. And uh, I'm really glad that uh, everything worked out in the end. <laughs> Can you, for our listeners, can you paint a bit of a picture of what, what a day in the life sort of looked like for you in the time that you were in the Arctic? Yeah. So picture flying for a very, very long time up the Canadian Shield. So you go way, way up and suddenly you're flying over trees and then all of a sudden there's a line and it's white after that. And so you're heading into kind of the unknown and then you land into this very small community. So it's a little tiny airport. It's about the size of a medium-sized house. And uh, that's the airport. And the town is only, it's literally just houses um, lined along the coast. So lined along the, the ocean. It's all white. There's no trees. There's lots of rocks, though. Beautiful, beautiful scenery. And I mean, the sky is just magnificent because well there's no pollution or anything it's just on clear days it's just bright blue and then there's a lot of very friendly people uh, that's the people of Ulahaktuk uh, right there and so I was staying in 
in a house um, and I had a, a view of the ocean every midday I guess I'd get to see the sunrise because I was there in the fall the sun kept getting lower and lower and it, get, it got colder and colder so when I started when I got there in September there just been their first snowfall and by the time I left in December um, there were blizzards and blackouts pretty much every day drastic change in the weather and uh, you know I went out every day and did semi-structured interviews so basically I drank a lot of tea with a lot of great people and did interviews discussing education and and then you know I'd go back out sometimes during that that time I would go for my runs um, which involved trail running shoes big wool pants so that I wouldn't get cold Um, I'd have a knife and a heat pack and a granola bar in my pocket just in case so you had a knife with you for protection Basically, if you were to encounter any wildlife, you said it would be better than having nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's why I had the knife. I had the knife. Yeah. For protection, although I I don't have my my guns license, so I I couldn't carry a gun. Um, And if I was to go back up, I I would probably look into getting that um, because I don't think a knife would have done anything. But yeah, it was more sound of mind, you know, knowing that I had something in my in my pocket that that I could use uh, was better. (laughs) Yeah, better than having my bare hands and and not knowing what to do. So, um, but luckily, you know, there were people driving up and down the roads um, and everyone in the community knew I was running that you you can't do something in the community. It's a community of 400 people. So you can't do something in the community and not have everyone know about it. And um, it it was great though, because, you know, I, I got to go for my run, but I also got to share it with everyone else. So, so yeah, you really developed a connection with, with the people that you were living with, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I became a part of the family, which was really, really cool. And, um, you know, something that, that I really, really cherish. And uh, hopefully someday, eventually, I'll get back up there. But uh, for the meantime, um, I'm going to stay south f- for a little while. <laughs> Probably wise. I, I can't imagine. I mean, I, I was just thinking about the temperatures. You can bundle up, but... And I mean, at that temperature, any exposed skin would freeze pretty quickly. I mean, how did you manage training while you were there? Were you able to run outside most days? Yeah, um, I actually still have some some spots on my skin that uh, I think I've gotten um, just like permanent frostbite. But um, yeah, any exposed skin, you do ha- you do risk um, frostbite. And I wasn't able to run every day, but I was able to run most days outside, which again just took a lot of preparation and isn't for the light of heart. It's it's quite cold. You're wearing a lot of layers. And you're not running fast. You're, you're, it's more just like using that energy. Some days, if it was really so bad, I would just actually go behind the school where there was a little hill and a bit of shelter. And I would just do hills. And that was, that would be my run for the day. And if, you know, I couldn't even get out for a run, I would just go walking. Often I could find someone in town who would come walking with me. So that, that added another dimension to the training. While I was up there, I was actually, I was keeping up with my weight routine and uh, I it started off, I would do it with rocks outside um, when I first got there. But then um, as it got too cold to run outside, I would move inside and actually would go to the, to the grocery store, pick up two big bags of flour and then bring them back into my bedroom. And, <laughs> and um, I'd be doing my weights with, with flour after I've 
did my weights, I was using them as uh, as thank you gifts. So they were not only just getting a bag of flour, but also <laughs> a free weight. So. That's amazing. And that's because there, wa- there weren't facilities for you to do any strength training. So you were being creative. Yeah, yeah, there was no there, there was a weight room, but it was ugh, locked up down in, in a building that was actually condemned. So <laughs> there wasn't really the space. And yeah, it was just I had like a, a pretty tiny bedroom, you know, it was, it was my, my single bed and my chest of drawers. And that that was it. So you just kind of had to be creative with the space. And uh, it just so happened that the best and most um, consistent weight was uh, bags of flour. <laughs> So you have a bit of a reputation. One of the things that people know about Jen is that you're very gritty. I think you're considered a really tough runner. It sounds like, and maybe that's why you're drawn to somewhere like the Arctic. It's kind of hard to know which came first. It's a chicken and egg situation. But do you think that your time there made you tougher and and made you a grittier athlete? Yeah, I've always been someone who uh who really likes adventure. That's I I love the word adventure. I, you know when we were kids, my parents made sure that we would do everything. We were if anyone said would you like to do blank, we would have to say yes. And um so you know, from a young age, I was exposed to all kinds of things. And I was actually carried around in a backpack most of the time, um, because I was the youngest child. So I just kind of got dragged along in, into ski adventures, camping, you know, so I think that's where uh, that sense of adventure kind of developed. Yeah. And then, you know, getting into running, I have always loved adverse weather. That's just my thing. If, if it's the crazier, the better. Jen told me that although she is a fan of inclement weather, there were a few occasions where conditions in Ulahuktik were too harsh even for her. For example, when daytime temperatures dipped to negative 47 degrees Celsius. Yeah, I don't know about it, I, where the grittiness of it has come from, but uh, being up north definitely helped with that. But yeah, it's, I've always loved just, just trying new things and pushing the boundaries a little bit. In terms of my, my running style, you know, I get kind of bored of, of following the pack and then, then going for like the late kick and, and that kind of technique. And I like to make it exciting. So, you know, if, if we're going after, if we're chasing a time or whatever, I'm going to put myself in the best situation um, to go for it and just use my strength, which is probably that grit. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that was on full display at the cross country championships this weekend, (laughs) taking the lead. And and you like, again, you you went pretty early. You made a a decisive move with um, almost 4k to go. And, and uh, once you made it, I mean, it was pretty clear that there was no one going to come back on you. But that was that was bold. You see that grittiness (laughs) definitely on display. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes I'm not sure if it's bold. They're just I'm just unaware that I'm making these decisions and then have to live with the repercussions about halfway through. So probably around 8k, I was like, why did I make that move so early? But uh, no, it was good. It it, it paid off. And, um, you know, I I was feeling really good. So um, I was happy that, that I went when I went. So you said that you love traveling and exploring the world. You really enjoy having something beyond just running um, as a focus in your life. So now that you're done your master's, you've learned some lessons about yourself from the summer and uh, you know things that you want to avoid. How, how are you going to manage that over the next two years leading into the Olympics? Do you sort of have a, an idea about that? 
Good question. You know, it's a work in progress. Yeah, I've had a few projects here and there uh, this fall, organizing the, the Women's Running Summit in New Brunswick, which was just a way to get women together talking about uh, running issues and, and running in general. Girls aged 13 plus came and, and attended. So um, we, we got a really great group of, of women and hopefully developed some relationships between them. So um, some younger girls have mentors and uh, that was kind of where my emphasis was in the fall. And then um, working at the university and uh, definitely worked a lot with game plan um, through the Canadian Sports Centers that have, has been a really good resource to help me keep my career goals on track. And, you know, it is it is a bit complicated with training into into the Olympics, especially this cycle with uh, World Championships being next fall um, and then the Olympics being shortly after. So, yeah, we're still figuring things out and exactly where I wanted to want to be headed. Okay, so you've got the World Cross Country Championships in late March of 2019 in Denmark. So those are coming up. And then, as you said, you've got some time to play with after that because the World Track Championships in 2019 aren't until October. You know, what are you, what are you most excited about now that you've rediscovered your love of running? What do you what gets you most excited in terms of what's on the horizon? Um, yeah, I think I tend to not look too far ahead. So first and foremost, uh, the holidays, seeing my family and stuff like that. But in terms of running, um, yeah, probably, you know, I, I'll do a few indoor races and then head over to, to Denmark and also do NACAC in preparation to that event. So that's kind of where the emphasis will be on in the next couple of months. But uh, after that, I'll head straight into to preparing for, for the fall so likely do altitude training to, to make sure that I'm in full force for the, the fall of 2019. That's kind of what the plan looks like right now. But, uh, you know, it, it goes through a variety of sketches. You go through ebbs and flows in, in any kind of career, but especially in running. And it's really cool to, to be able to, to share those journeys. And, uh, you know, ultimately, it helps build um, a character throughout uh, this career. So, yeah. Just excited to, to keep on with this journey. Keep an eye out for Jen on the trails, roads, and track as she heads into her 2019 season and expect to see this gritty Canuck at the 2020 Tokyo Olympic Games. And that's our show. Thank you so much to Jen for sharing her story. And thanks to you, our listeners, as always, for tuning in. You can catch our show weekly on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Shakeout Podcast, or subscribe to Canadian Running Magazine in print or via the digital edition. I'll talk with you again next week. I think actually the the host, the elder that I was staying with, I wonder sometimes what she was thinking when, when I was doing these weights in, in my bedroom, because I would often put headphones in to make sure that, that I didn't hear what I was doing, but I was probably making some <laughs> weird sounds and, and uh, I can only imagine what she was wondering. I mean, she thought I was weird enough as I was practicing my running every day. So um, I could only imagine what she thought I was doing when, when I was doing weights in my bedroom <laughs> with flour. <laughs> right. Hey, you know what? You, you make do with what you've got. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs>